Hello, rhetorical listeners. Welcome in to another episode of Big Rhetorical Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Woods, and as the semester kicks into full gear, things are crazy busy. So let's jump right in. Last fall, the Big Rhetorical Podcast put out a call for participants for our labor series. This series of episodes is devoted to academics and their partners. We were looking for folks to come on the podcast and talk about their experiences framed around working in academia. We had folks from around the country reach out to us. Our first interview, though, in this series is with Kristen LaFollette and her husband, Justin Sampson. Kristen is a writer, artist, and photographer. She is an assistant professor of English at the University of Southern Indiana and serves as the art editor for Mud Season Review. Justin has a background in psychology counseling, and leadership, and has worked in the restaurant industry, vocational ministry, retail management, and custom graphic production. Currently, he's on staff with Impact Campus Ministries. Kristen and Justin met as undergraduates and have accompanied each other throughout several advanced degrees, career changes, and moves. They've been married since 2012, and they live over in Evansville. It was quite a treat to talk to Justin and Kristen. So let's jump in and hear a bit from them about their experiences of working together in academia. What made you reach out? So I think the thing that stuck out the most to me is that We've both been through grad school together, and so, like, we got married in 2012, which was my second year of grad school, and right before he started grad school. So, like, through both of our master's degrees and my PhD and then relocating for my academic job, I felt like, oh, my gosh, this is a thing we could definitely speak to. Yeah. So, Kristen, and uh, what's uh, I didn't write your husband's name down. Justin. Justin. I should have yeah. written it down. No worries. Sorry, Justin. So, and you're both in academia too, right? Uh, no. So, just me, but Justin does have a master's degree, but I don't know if you want to explain what your field is. Yeah, so I'm actually uh, an associate campus minister with Impact Campus Ministries. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, so I am on campus, but not in the academia form. Well, I have to say that just I looked at I, I read the paragraph that you wrote, Kristen, and I saw campus ministries and I guess I just assumed that was like something I didn't know what it was. So maybe you can elaborate <laughs> a little bit, a little bit and tell, tell me a little bit about what you do, Justin. Yeah. So uh, my master's is actually in uh, theology. So my master's in ministry with an emphasis in counseling. Uh, and that's really my big passion is helping students work through a lot of the hardships that they're going through in life. Uh, the mental health crisis right now within college students is it's rampant. Uh, they're in a major need for help. And so my passion is to help students kind of find their identity, find who they are and be able to uh, then go on and do great things and impact the world and make a difference in the future. That's so cool. That's such a cool thing to be involved with. And I keep saying cool, and like it's like when, it's, it's like when a poet reads his poetry, and you're like, oh, that's super interesting. It's just a, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it's just like I think it's super cool, and I'm so glad that uh, you were called to do that work. That's super Thank important. You. 
Thank you. So I got to ask, did you all meet at Indiana University South Bend? Yes. Yes, we did, actually. You did. did. That's where you met. So you weren't like high school sweethearts or anything like that. Yeah, we met Mm -hmm. at USB. My sophomore year of college, his junior year. Yep. Okay, were you in the same program? Did you cross the campus, cross the quad at the same time? So, funny enough, yeah, we were both pre-med at the time, although we didn't have any classes together. Uh, but that was one thing we found out, and we were like, oh, that's weird. Uh, but, yeah, we actually met at uh, Impact, uh, the campus ministry on, on campus. No, we didn't meet at Impact. Not Impact, I'm sorry, uh, BCM. <laughs> we, yeah, so we were in the same degree program at the same time and never crossed yeah. paths, which yeah. is interesting. And then we ended up changing majors. I switched to English and he switched to psychology. And then we ended up meeting at a, I was involved with this organization. We were having a campus event and he was invited by a mutual friend. And we met that night at the, it was like a pancake, midnight pancake breakfast or something. Yeah. And so you were there at Indiana University in South Bend. Now I've been to the Kokomo campus and I have plans to be at the Bloomington campus. What's the South Bend campus like? Oh, that's a good question. Actually, if you've been to the Kokomo campus, the South Bend campus is like... Pretty much the same. No, you do not know things. I would think so. (laughs) The South Bend campus is like five times the size of the Kokomo campus. Okay, that's true. Okay, It's way bigger. But um, so there, I don't know actually how many campuses there are in the Indiana University system, but Indiana University Bloomington is obviously the biggest. I think we looked up, they have like 50,000 students or something like that. And we actually live about two hours from there now where we live here. And um, the South Bend campus has like probably 10,000 students. Mm -hmm. It's sort of on your way to downtown South Bend. It's in not a great part of town, (laughs) actually. Um, But it's a big campus and it really like serves that local community there. So many people in the South Bend, Mishawak area go there. Yeah. And not really a satellite university, but a a 10,000 for a, a campus that's a part of a university system seems pretty huge to me. Yes, it is absolutely a huge campus. Justin, what made you want to make the switch from pre-med to, was it theology? Is that Uh, what you said? Psychology at first. Psychology. So actually, my my dream was to be a veterinarian. And then I failed my first biology class. And then that kind of went up in smoke as well. uh, Because you pretty much have to have a 4.0 to become a veterinarian. Uh, and so I kind of bounced around different degrees for a little bit and then uh, I kind of realized my passion was to help people and to, uh, you know, open up a counseling clinic at some point in time in my life. So psychology was really kind of a big passion for me. I guess if you right. can't help animals, humans are the next <laughs> best thing, right? That's the next thing, right, right. <laughs> That's Kristen, what made you switch from pre-med to English? Yeah, that it's kind of an interesting story. So for the longest time, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And I'm not really sure exactly where that came from. I think I decided in like eighth grade that it would be a cool thing to be a doctor because I was really interested in medicine and anatomy and these kinds of things. And so I went to college to do pre-med and I I was doing well. I just absolutely hated it. And I got through almost the entire like I was almost done. I think I was what, like a semester, yeah, I think a semester from done. graduating with a pre-med degree and had this like ridiculous crisis of identity of like, you know, I don't think I want to go to med school anymore. I don't think I really want to be a doctor and had this moment of panic of like, I'm almost graduated. And I just decided that I don't want to do this and I don't like what I'm doing. So 
I remember telling you, mm-hmm. and like for the longest time, I had only ever wanted to be a doctor. So he was like, where is this coming from? <laughs> like, I didn't know that you didn't like it kind of thing. And I think there was like pressure, I guess, that I maybe was just putting on myself of like, if I changed my mind or told people I didn't want to do it anymore, they would think I was like, I don't know, backing out or like giving up or something, you know. And so I remember telling my roommate and she was like, well, what are you going to do then? And I was like, first of all, I have to figure out how to tell my parents because they were paying for me to go to school. (laughs) And so I remember calling my mom and telling her, like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I kind of hate it. I hate it. And I have hated it the whole time. And she was like, well, then do something else. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I should. <laughs> so, Can your mom be everyone's mom? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it was like, and that's why I think like all the pressure that I felt to like not tell anyone how I was really feeling was something I guess I came up with in my own head. I don't know, but I went to so my biology because I was a biology, um, <clears throat> I was in a biology program for pre-med and I went and talked to my advisor and she was like, well, what else are you interested in? And I said, I've always liked to write. And she said, well, why don't you just give English a trial run and see if you even like it? And if not, we'll talk about something else. And so I gave it a semester try and I ended up loving it so much so that I finished my degree in like three semesters. Yeah. Finished my English degree in three semesters and then started grad school like two weeks later. Yep. The the call what, that you responded to, Kristen and Justin, was about labor. Yes. And early on, right now in our conversation, I immediately immediately uh, identify uh, you as a very uh, person not afraid to take on labor, Kristen. If you're going to make a big <laughs> make a big switch like that, um, so but uh, but with that being said, I want to hear just from Justin. Talk, walk us through that experience of Kristen deciding to change her degree path and and just share as much as you'd like from your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, so when we were both uh, pre-med, we both had chemistry classes and we were kind of helping each other out through that. And I just remember one day, like her, she just kind of break down and she was like, I don't like doing this anymore. This is miserable. I don't know what I'm doing in life. And you know, I don't know what I'm going to do because I have to be a doctor. That's what everyone wants me to be. I don't know what to do. And so it, it was this kind of big crisis in her life. Uh, this kind of fork in the road where I either continue on and be miserable uh, or I find something that I'm passionate about and go from there. And so, yeah, it, it took a little while to figure out what it was that you wanted to do. Uh, I remember her trying her first English class and then coming back and saying, this is what I love to do, because I think it was a poetry class at first, right? It, it was just like a general creative writing class. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, the professor is so cool. You know, he has poetry books and we were reading some of it. and now, this is what I love to do. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, keep going, keep finding that passion. And, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it was an easy road because I think you took what, 21 credit hours for three semesters. So yeah. like it was. Ended that thesis. Ended a thesis. Yeah. So it was a lot of work, but uh, obviously it paid off because, you know, now you have tons of poetry collections out there. You have books out not there. Co- collections is not, that is not <laughs> accurate. He means publication. Publication. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, tons of publications out there. You do have one collection uh, and, you know, other books that are out there. And it's just kind of amazing seeing that process. If I'm going to go down Kristen's CV 
and look at things like queer approaches, emotions, expression, and communication, or um, art research, international or transdisciplinary journal, and her and her publication there. These are things, right, that Justin, you're very proud of. Oh, absolutely. The listeners cannot see the smile on his face right now, but it is so genuine. Yeah, no, so absolutely. Genuine. Like, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that. Like, if I was in the same boat in the same crisis, I would have a meltdown, and I would probably be hiding under my bed for a year at least. Uh, but to be able to have that crisis and then come out the other end with so many publications and just thriving in her field, it's such an amazing, just amazing view from here. Just watching it. I'm glad we did I, this. <laughs> So I wonder then, Kristen, you're there in South Bend at at the IU campus and you decide to stay for your master's degree. And it looks like you went straight through. I wonder, is was you all's decision to go straight through kind of a decision made to, and I, I hate to put words in your mouth, so please correct me, but to kind of make up for the lost time as an undergraduate English uh, major, perhaps. I'm asking this question because I did the same thing you did, Kristen. I I went straight through because I was a latecomer to the English department and wanted to stay in it, right? And really yeah. feel like like I got like I did it. That's just the best way to say it. Maybe you could just start talking now since my word vomits all over the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I think yes, a little bit of that definitely because I. Um, it was one of those things where like I took that first creative writing class and I did, I remember coming back and being like, that was the, like, it was a light bulb moment for me because I remember sitting there with my professor, David Dodley. He's like the most prolific poet. I know he's published like 12 poetry collections. He's amazing. And I remember him just sitting there talking about how he loved to teach and write and academia was the way for him to do both. And I was like, well, I like both of those. I think I might like both of those things. And so, you know, I didn't I didn't have that much time. So like your average English major is going to spend four years in the program and I only had three semesters. And it was one of those things for me that was like I connected so well with the faculty in my department. And I felt like I had so much to learn from them that I I had like rushed through to finish my bachelor's degree. And I thought I have so much more to learn from these people. I like them. I really connect well with them. I studied under um, Kelsey Parker Ervick, who does some really cool, like graphic literary collage type things. And I got really interested in that because if you notice from my CV, I'm really interested in things that like connect art and writing. And so my thing was like, I, I actually did apply to like six mm-hmm. master's programs. Yeah. And uh, I applied to mostly MFAs because I thought at the time that was like what I wanted to do. Like creative writing was the thing. And the program at IU South Bend was an MA, an MA in creative writing, not an MFA in creative writing. So there was a focus on teaching and other things, I think, to make you a more marketable candidate, like to get a job afterward. Sure, and I sure. think my choice to stay at IU South Bend was one that was sort of born out of not getting accepted <laughs> to other yeah. <laughs> programs. Um, but at the same time, because I was young and I wanted to like go experience things. So I thought it would be cool to go to a different city. And like, I wasn't from South Bend. Like I went away to school and I lived on campus there, but I still wanted to try something new. And then when those things didn't work out, I ended up staying at IU South Bend and I was a little grumpy about it at first, but then I was taking classes with these same faculty members that I loved and really looked up to. 
and still have contact with today. Like they always invite me to things at IU South Bend. Like I love them. It was, I had an absolutely wonderful experience there. And so it just gave me like, it was almost like then a full, like that four year undergraduate degree. Like I really got to experience that being like doing the little bit of undergrad work and then being a master's student there and doing my thesis there and then being like, oh, you want to do this weird literary collage thing? Like go for it. You know, like they were just very supportive of my interests. And it was, it was, I think, a blessing that I ended up yeah. staying there because I, I really loved my experience there. Yeah, you, you did have a hard time, too, because I remember, you know, you got denied. I think it was Notre Dame. Uh, we don't have to talk about well, okay, all the fine. trauma. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you getting denied from them, and you were really upset. And you were like, you know, I wanted to go do all this stuff. I wanted to get my MFA. Yeah. And then I forget which professor you had that talked you out of an MFA and actually told you like that is not a good choice because the field is, you know, dwindling so much and it's going to be harder and harder to be able to get a job with an MFA. That was actually after my master's. So was it? after my master's degree, I took two years off and I was adjuncting at Indiana Tech, which they have campuses all over Indiana. There's actually one here in Evansville even. And uh, my mentor there, Lisa, she was like, you're thinking about going back and getting a PhD. What do you want to do? And I was like, oh, creative writing. And she said, no, (laughs) you shouldn't do that. And it was not because like, don't practice your craft and become a better writer. It was like, I care about you enough to tell you that you might probably won't get a job kind of thing. We need, we need a a picture of Lisa just saying no, and we'll make it a meme and it'll go viral for sure. Yes. You know, Kristen, the things you're talking about, um, about, we're resonating with me so much about getting the full experience and work, working with these these brilliant people at, at IU. I dragged my wife from Birmingham, Alabama to Bloomington, Illinois for the PhD program. Yeah. So I wonder, you didn't have to get dragged very far, if, if at all, right? You all yeah. may have even stayed in the same house. But I wonder if I just say labor and Kristen's master's degree program just riff what does that bring to mind for you I mean we were both in the master's program I so I actually took the long route for my bachelor's I wasn't as motivated to finish up in the four years so I finished who up is who is exactly <laughs> who's, who's gonna do it no one's gonna do that no uh, so I finished up in I like to say six and a half years Kristen corrects me at seven years but I, I like to say six and a half it just sounds better uh, and so by the time I finished my, actually we walked together. Uh, so you finished your master's, I finished my bachelor's at the same time. Uh, and then I went on to get my master's as well. And so we were both kind of working at the same time. Like we both had times where we'd be sitting in the living room studying because, you know, you were working on your master's. I was finishing up my bachelor's. Uh, and with my bachelor's, I actually had to write and uh, fulfill an experiment. So I actually designed, executed, and then did a write-up for a full experiment, which was very late. It was a a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. And so we both, I wouldn't say there wasn't like a a pull or a push or, you know, I got mad at her because she was studying instead of hanging out with me because we both were in that same point. We both were finishing a very labor-intensive degrees. Uh, and then even when I went on to get my master's, you know, Kristen was very supportive of it and very, yeah, I get that. Masters are great, but they're also labor intensive. Those moments, <laughs> I'm sure, of sitting on the floor, sitting on the couch with 
covered in books and ink all over your hands, or maybe yeah. you're typing on a computer, I guess, since it's not like 1750. <laughs> 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 Do you feel like perhaps those moments have stuck with you through all the different moves and transitions from jobs, degree programs, et cetera? And what did you take away from those those nights and those moments that, that get you through the tough times of like, oh my God, I've got so much stuff to do. <laughs> I, well, so the interesting thing is like he graduated with his bachelor's when I graduated with my master's and then I had a two year break before I started my PhD. And during that two year break is when he did his master's. Mm-hmm. So it never ended for us. This is the first time year, that neither first of us have been in six school. months. Yeah. That neither of us have been in school. I just realized that, but that's <laughs> crazy. Because we're so old. Well, I'm looking at your CV, uh, Kristen, and if you graduated in 2011, then that's the first time in 12 years that one of you haven't been in school since you started undergrad in 07, I guess. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. a long time. (laughs) And I... I think it's because of that, because like I had just come out of a master's program when he started his master's. And so when he was going through that, I was just like, yeah, I know how it is. This is the way it is. Like I yeah. proofread all of your papers <laughs> and the, you know, your seminar papers for yeah. class and things. I think when we were doing, when I was wrapping up my master's and he was wrapping up his bachelor's degree, it was really, really helpful that we were doing, we were both in school together because like he said, he had to design and execute this study. It was a ton of work yeah. and it was, it never felt like, oh, I'm spending too much time on school or he's spending too much time on school. because it was one of those things like we both have work to do. We're just going to sit down and get it done. Yeah. Um, which was different then because when I was doing my PhD, he was done with school and in a job. And then that was kind of a different thing and sort of presented, I guess, maybe some like unique, you know, we had to really like make, time for each other when yeah. we were doing that that was different um you know when we were both in school together it just felt like oh we're doing the exact same thing like right. we have to work on this all night you know four nights a week or yeah and we were sitting down you know she was working right next to me and we were still typing and occasionally you know we would talk to each other uh when we weren't you know face deep into a book or something like that uh and i yeah like you were saying even if your phd program since we both were in school like it wasn't it wasn't anything new it was you know we've been through this before it was easy to just keep on going through it and you know we joke i joke myself because i'm considering going back and getting a second master so you know just the education cycle just <laughs> continues for us oh boy <laughs> <laughs> It really sucks that this is a podcast and that the listeners can't see your faces when you talk about each other because it's, it is so freaking awesome. Aww. And the second the second thing is you've you all have alluded to the things that you've gained whether that's for your relationship, for your careers and your degrees. Here's a little bit of a harder question. What are the, some of the things that you think that these laborious paths that you have taken what are some of the things that you've missed out on or lost oh gosh feel free to take your time and think about it i think one thing is that uh usually people of our age you know they have a lot of friends around they have uh you know neighbors that they're hanging out with and that they're always doing stuff with uh not saying that we don't have friends because we do but the friends look different uh, they're academic friends. There are people that are either getting the master's or either at USI, the University of Southern Indiana, or at the time that were at Bowling Green State University or that were at Bethel University with me. Uh, 
the friendship looked much different. And so I think that would be one that I would say is that we didn't have the traditional friends that were, you know, we were hanging out with almost every night of the week, going to parties or going to movies or doing different stuff. It was friends that we might see, you know, once a week in between the times of studying or exams or big papers or something like that. Yeah, I think just kind of building on that, we, so we're both in our thirties now and are just now in like, this is my first full-time job I've ever had, which just is like, yeah. blows my mind. 30, but, 30. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's like, and so, so the past, 12 years we have moved a lot mm. and we have um, been focused on other things and so where a lot of people our age are settled down and married and have children we are like the anomaly sort of and so like people that we would meet that are are our age could never like hang out or do anything with us because yeah they have children and like responsibilities and things that are just very different from where we were at in our lives. So I think that was one thing that could be a bit challenging is that because of what we were doing and moving around so much and being in school this whole time, that was a lot of like, oh, we're the exact same age, but you're like a real adult. We can think about labor and the PhD in so many different ways from the labor of the project, compensation for graduate students, etc. Etc. How would you prefer to dive into talking about your PhD experience with the theme of labor? And I'm I'm really putting it on you here because I want to hear what you have to say <laughs> because I have my own feelings. I think the thing that really stands out the most to me because I just recently at my university was invited to do a grad school panel where a few of us recent grads sat with some students who were interested in going to grad school and they just asked us questions. And one of the things that really stands out the most to me that I always tell people who are thinking about getting a PhD or going to grad school is the huge financial sacrifice mm -hmm. that it is because where most people your age have jobs and are earning a living wage and are living like normal adults, <laughs> you, I mean, it was a huge, it was a huge thing because my husband works in ministry. You don't make very much money working in ministry. He worked at churches the whole time I was in my PhD and I made $14,000 a year. But the thing about that is, is even though you're making not, not even close to a living wage, you are asked to do so much labor. The thing that I think really stands out the most is con attending conferences and presenting at conferences. Um, because our department hardly gave us any funding at all. We got like maybe $150 from Graduate Student Senate. And I think we got $300 a year from our uh, department. But it's like, if you're not going to these big conferences in the field, you're missing out. And like, I remember the first year that I went to CES, it was in Portland, Oregon. And that plane ticket was like $500. So what That's I got, <laughs> it was ridiculous. And that didn't cover lodging, that didn't cover registration or meals while I was there and things like that. And so um, my cohort and I were pretty close. And for the most part, we always just planned to travel to conferences together, which in itself is exhausting because mm -hmm. you're in a car with six or seven people. <laughs> you're all sharing a hotel room and you want to kill each other by the end of the <laughs> conference because you have no privacy or no space. You know, this person's up until two o'clock in the morning working on their presentation that they didn't finish up. And, you know, you were up for a workshop at 
you know, 5.30 and all this other stuff. And it was just like, that was like a lot. But I think the, the money thing is because you're just there. They ask so much of you. If you want to get a job, you have to publish. You have to go to conferences. You have to do presentations. But you're not you're, you're essentially doing this work for for free, really. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, especially because there is no guarantee of a job after you get your degree. So you yeah. do all this stuff. You know, you go into debt. And, you know, some people take out loans. Some people rack up the credit cards to be able to afford being at a PhD and to be able to live. And then there's no guarantee that you get a job. You know, we know some people who just graduated their PhD and they weren't able to find a job. And so now they're, you know, teaching, adjuncting, you know, again, making minimum amount of money and who knows if they're going to be able to find a job. And so it's, it's definitely a sacrifice that I don't think a lot of people understand. I think people are just like, Oh yeah, I want to get a master or get a PhD. And then like, well, that's, it's a lot. It's a sacrifice. Like you have to have a passion for it. You know, I think you're you're absolutely I'm going to just say your words, Justin, like it's a sacrifice and people don't understand how that works. Right. Yeah. They really they really don't. You know, there are all those. Oh, certainly social media posts and things that you see, especially around the holidays, like about having to talk to our family members. Right. About the things yeah. that we do. And and really, for me in my opinion, is that it's all for not like they're just not going to get it. It's not yeah. worth wasting my breath yes uh, <laughs> yes yep. yes Kristen yep. is shaking her head like yes <laughs> that is right I have been there and Thanksgiving is next week <laughs> so yep. I'll I wonder Justin in your own words if you could encapsulate really that's not the right word if you could provide for us just a glimpse of what from your from your perspective what was Kristen's PhD experience like in terms of labor? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely labor intensive because, you know, I had a job that was uh, opposite hours. I usually worked at nights because that's usually when you hang out with students. And so, you know, she'd be gone most of the day, uh, either teaching a class or having classes or, you know, being part of programs or, you know, helping out doing A, B, C, D, and E. And then, you know, we would kind of see this shift to go across like, oh, hey, how you doing? Okay, bye. Uh, yeah, it was very labor intensive, you know, doing all of that, publishing papers, worrying about if people will publish her stuff, you know, at the same time doing her PhD, she's writing poetry, doing art, trying to get that stuff out there. Uh, I remember when you first started doing it, it was probably like 150 rejections to uh, a single yes. And so, you know, that was a toll uh, in and of itself. And then I don't know how you did it, but you applied probably to thousands of different poetry magazines or publications. Uh, and, you know, that kind of time and that that dedication. I think people just don't understand that it's it's not just a, like a master's program. Like a master's program is hard, but it's not a dedication. Whereas a Ph.D. program is a dedicated. You're dedicating your life to this project. You're dedicating uh, your marriage to this project, you're dedicating your partnership, whatever you're in, to having a PhD program. And, you know, you're changing your whole entire outlook on life. And it's, it's I think people just take it lightly, like, oh, I want to be a doctor. But it's, <laughs> it's more of a lifestyle than it is a degree. Well, and I think I put some of that on myself, too, because I had a background in creative writing. That's what I'd love to do. And then Lisa, my mentor at Indiana Tech, you know, she sort of steered me in a different direction. Like, hey, if you really want to have your best chance of getting a job, you should try Red Comp. 
And so I started looking into it and being like, well, yeah, I love teaching and I love teaching writing. So this is what I'm going to do. So I went into a PhD program in rhetoric and writing, but at the same time, I didn't want to leave behind that identity as a creative writer. And so on top of doing all this stuff for my rhetoric comp degree, I was also like writing and submitting creative writing and doing art through that yeah. whole thing too. So I, I put that on, <laughs> I put that on myself, I guess, but it was the thing I didn't want to lose sight of, right. you know? Just scrolling down through your CV, the amount of diversity in the classes that you taught at Indiana <laughs> Tech is insane. Like, yes. <laughs> I want to speak just to Justin for a moment. Justin, yeah, yeah. the diversity of classes that she taught <laughs> at Indiana Tech is absolutely insane. Yeah, she, like, I mean, oh she my mentioned- gosh. Oh, I'm teaching an ethics class. I'm like, you have no background in ethics. Or music appreciation. Or music appreciation. Yeah. Or pro- like professional writing. I'm like, you have no background in that. How are you teaching that stuff? And I mean, even the classes that she took at uh, at Bowling Green State University, I'm like, how does that apply at all to your PhD? It's pretty comical. Well, you know what, though? I, I agree with you, but I think that you said it uh, just a moment ago. It's, it's a lifestyle, not yeah. a degree. You know, yeah. it's like I'm sure Kristen can walk in a children's literature classroom and be ready to go yeah. based on the things from her creative writing life and her teaching writing life. Wow, that is really a heck of a CV there under Indiana Tech. Well, the other part of that, too, is that I worked. So I don't even know if I mentioned this, but while I was doing my PhD, I worked at Indiana Tech that entire time. Yeah. So right. I was teaching right. between 15 and 17 classes a year for Indiana Tech on top of, yeah, on top of <laughs> what I Who are doing. you? I know. Who even I are you? <laughs> that she is a superhuman, like a supercomputer that's here with us humans. Like it's, it's crazy <laughs> the amount of stuff that she could do and still keep sanity and still you know make time for our marriage and go on date nights and do other stuff with friends and you know go to the zoo while she's doing eight million other things the other part of that too though is like that was really born out of necessity because we were completely broke yeah and so it was a thing I felt like because I refused to take out any kind of loan whatsoever during my um, PhD I just didn't want to put that on us when we're trying to like really start our like real adult lives after the PhD I didn't want to have to deal with that so I just was like and I also had a nannying job yeah. during my fourth year. And then I, I, I didn't mention this either, but I got mono during the last year of my PhD and was on medical leave for eight weeks. Well, you had mono and then you had bronchitis and then you had Well, no, it strep. started with the mono was the end. Result. That's true. You had strep and then that went to pneumonia, which went to bronchitis, which went to mono. Yeah. And yeah. they won't. They don't want you on campus. They won't even probably let you come to campus with mono. I guess. Oh heck no! They didn't want me around. Yeah. <laughs> didn't want that going around. Definitely not. So here's a weird question: When you when you got sick during your fourth year, how did you look at that? Were you freaking out because you're like, oh my god, I'm gonna get so behind? Or was that first week you were just like, this is okay? <laughs> That is a good question. I, um, okay. So I, I got, I started getting sick over the summer. It started with strep throat and then I don't even know how this whole thing happened, but I ended up getting bronchitis and then, uh, and then I was just not getting any better. And it was like a week before the semester started, our department chair emailed me and said, Hey, I know you were supposed to have a, 
Um, my assistantship for the year was supposed to be the, the web developer for our um, department's website. And she said, I know that was supposed to be your assistantship, but we just had a faculty member. I don't know what happened, but they weren't able to teach. It was a poetry class. And I'd never in my life taught a creative writing class. And she's like, I know you only have a week before the semester starts, but if you're interested, the class is yours. And so I said, yeah, I'm in. And so I spent like the week getting my materials ready and getting ready to teach this class. And I was not feeling great, but I was, I I thought, you know, after four or five weeks (laughs) of having this, like it's got to be on its way out. And so I went back, started teaching this class, and then probably about two weeks into the semester, I just literally felt like I was dying, could not figure out what was going on. Like I suddenly had gotten way worse and I was convinced I had lymphoma. I told you, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm dying of cancer, which sounds funny now, but at the time, like, I don't know if you know anything about mono, but it just makes your body go crazy and have all these really weird symptoms. And so I went to the the doctor and I was like, what is wrong with me? Help me figure this out because I was not, I could not focus in, on this class I was teaching. Like it was three days a week. I was not putting my best effort into it. And she, they did the test or whatever. And she's like, you have mono. And it was like a hallelujah course in my head because I'm like, now I can just like, I don't have to like suffer through this class or like be on campus when I feel like I could collapse and die. Like I have a reason to stay home in on my couch and not move or go anywhere. And I remember emailing my department chair and sending her like the note from the doctor and everything else. And I was like, I can't like, and then I felt bad at the same time because I had picked up this class for a faculty member who had dropped it. And now I was going to have to pass this class on to someone else. And, but it ended up working out. And while it was a really long recovery and it was like a terrible thing at the same time, I, I don't think I would have gotten, I, I don't easily let myself rest. So it was like a force, like take time off, like just don't do anything. Um, and Which let, you didn't do. <laughs> well, sort of. I As much as you can do anything yeah. when you have mono. But um, no, I think now looking back on it, now that I don't have mono anymore, I think it was sort of like a welcomed, like it gave me, of force, like just relax and take some time off kind of thing. Yeah. It seems like, you know, and I don't know you at all, but it, se- <laughs> it, it seems like you're not going to do that unless you have mono. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Justin, now that you are all in Evansville and Kristen is at Southern Indi- University of Southern Indiana, how have your approaches to marriage, your approaches to labor, how have things changed? Better, have they changed? And if so, how? <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting because now, like, I wouldn't say we have a ton of free time because you're still, you know, developing courses for USI or developing your classes. Uh, but it, it's funny because we're like, oh, we have free time now. We can hang out with friends. We have friends now. Like, we can go do stuff. It's kind of been one of those, we've been in the tunnel for so long that we come outside and it's blinding and we, we can't see anything because it's so bright. And we're like, oh, well, this is nice. <laughs> I think it's more about, like, our schedules have sort yeah. of steadied because when you're in a PhD, you're just, like, all over the place all the time. Yeah. But now my hours are pretty set and so are yours. Yeah. And so 
we're like on the same schedule and we work like normal adults. Yeah. You work at the same university? Uh, so yeah, I am on the campus of University of Southern India. Yeah, I'm on campus there. Yeah. And so do you all live near the campus? Yeah, we live probably 10 minutes from campus. So are, thing, are things like riding in together, is that a part of your routine and stuff like that? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think it will be eventually. The weird thing about where Justin's at right now is in the past, he's worked for churches. And so the church pays your salary, but with Impact, they're its own organization and they're um, independent of any other entity or organization. Okay. And so... He's responsible for support raising his mm. own salary, which exactly the look on your face yeah. does it all. Yeah. And so that's the phase that he's in right now. And Impact won't let him be on campus until he has finished that support raising process. Yeah. So uh, that's what he's doing right now. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Sort Very of. Cool. <laughs> Stressful. Well, yeah. I feel like, you know, we've been here for 45 minutes and that's the labor we need to be talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the PhD program, that's all easy stuff. That's all easy stuff. <laughs> Fundraising for a, a, a ministry organization can't be can't be hard. Can't be easy for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we cut it cut out of here, what else do we need to talk about? What did you not get to say that you wanted to say when you knew this Skype call was coming? Yeah, do you? No, you go. I, I feel like I want to hear what you have to say. I would say that I, like I said, you know, a PhD is a lifestyle, but also, you know, if you're married and your spouse wants to do a PhD program, it's also a dedication for the spouse as well. Uh, because, you know, we moved. I was very happy to move. I'm a person that if Kristen said right now, hey, I got another job at University of Michigan, I'd be like, let's go. You know, I'll be packing up the house and we'll be moving. You know, that's kind of who I am. But a lot of people are not that flexible. And, you know, it's hard to move just for four years and then have to move again, you know, when you get a job. Uh, so, you know, being flexible and being supportive and, you know, I've learned so much just from the stuff that she shared, uh, you know, with her uh, women and gender studies or just with her, the rhetoric uh, side of things, you know, it's changed how I do my job and it's changed how I do ministry just listening to that. So, you know, being a partner of someone who is in a PhD program is going to change your life. And it's, it's one of those things, are you ready for that? And if you're not, you need to be ready for that. You're going to make me freaking cry. <laughs> <laughs> and I think maybe that's the thing I would say is I feel like I got really lucky because when I was like, hey, I'm going to do a master's, he was like, okay, cool. And I was like, hey, can we move to Ohio so I can do a PhD and it's going to take us all this time and we're only going to live there for a short period and then we're going to move again. And he was like, yeah, let's go, yeah. let's do it. And then I was like, hey, I got a job in southern Indiana. You want to move to Evansville? And he's like, yeah, let's go. So, like, I don't know that that's always, you know, some of my friends didn't have as supportive spouses or as supportive networks. Um, but one thing I could say about Justin is that you're just like, let's do this adventure, you know. Yeah. And it's been really helpful to have a partner through all of this that is really understanding and supportive. Adventure time with Kristen and Justin. That's what we have, it looks like. <laughs> I want to thank you both, uh, Kristen, for reaching out and, and being a part of this uh, short series of episodes devoted to labor in the academy. And Justin, thank you so much for joining us, too, as well. Thank you. You thank all you. have been fantastic. 
thank you so much and we'll look forward to seeing the the work that Kristen does and and the work that you do there at Southern Indiana Justin thanks so much thank you All right, rhetorical listeners, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we appreciate our guests being on. It was a pleasure to talk to them and get to know a little bit more about their lives. That about wraps it up for me. Until next time, be kind to one another, and always be listening rhetorically. Would you like to join Charles on the podcast? The Big Rhetorical Podcast. Emerging Scholar Series is a unique series of podcast episodes specifically designed to highlight the life and career work of graduate students and other academics who enjoy discussing the development of their scholarship, their pedagogy, and their service to the fields and disciplines of rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication. The Big Rhetorical Podcast, Emerging Scholar Series, offers participants the opportunity to contribute to ongoing conversations within our disciplines and beyond. This record of conversations eventually will be a vast catalog of dialogues, a digital archive with the potential to impact the knowledge-making in rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication, as well as adjacent fields. Moreover, our Emerging Scholar series serves as a glimpse into the variety of positionalities and personalities currently working in and defining these areas, as well as a way to track specific disciplinary themes as they manifest throughout time. For scholars and practitioners, the Big Rhetorical Podcast Emerging Scholar Series offers the opportunity to gauge the future of rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication by learning more about the research of graduate students and less seasoned scholars. The Big Rhetorical Podcast core ideals are similar to the community-based writing project, with an emphasis on inclusivity and localizing knowledge and strengthening relationships among peers. As we embark upon the newest season of the Big Rhetorical Podcast, please feel free to check out older episodes and our newest episodes wherever you get podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and anchor.fm. If you would like to be featured on an episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast Emerging Scholar Series, or if you have any questions about the Big Rhetorical Podcast, please submit a form at our website, www.thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com. You can also find the Big Rhetorical Podcast on Twitter at The Big Ret. Follow the podcast on Facebook email us at thebigrhetorical at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you soon.